Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Disciples Quest. My name is Justin. I'm Will. And I'm Emily. And I can't wait to bring you guys Hebrews 13. Uh, This is the very last chapter of Hebrews. Uh, Can't wait to read this. It's got a lot of interesting topics. Uh, I think we're going to cover a good amount of ground today, since this is the last section of Hebrews. Uh, But before we get into the reading for today and to see what God has in store for us, uh, Emily, how was your week? This week was good. Um, I worked and saw my mom a couple of times, saw Will's sisters again, babysat my niece and nephew. Just pretty typical week, but we had a really good Easter Sunday because um, that just happened this past Sunday <laughs> for us. Like at We went to both churches. At Portage, they had baptisms and it was really cool because they had like a full-on band and with like brass instruments so like whenever somebody got baptized they would start like you know being all like here's the horns going like whatever that's cool it was awesome like trumpet and you know and uh we went to people's full gospel and there we got to hear an amazing song by our friend justin who's right here who's that that guy. Oh. <laughs> he's saying he's alive, which yeah. is one of the best songs, in my opinion. And it, I thought you did really well with it. Thank you. So, it's one of my favorites. It's a as good well. classic for Easter. Sure is. Yeah. And we went to uh, Will's family's place for Easter supper, and that was a lot of fun. Just uh, spent some time um, having fun with his siblings. Yeah. That's about it for me. Uh, other than that, actually, I'm going to be starting to work 35 hours a week hey, pretty soon. So Full time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really cool. Having enough support uh, for me to work in ministry for that many hours a week is really exciting. That is awesome. Amen. Praise yeah. to God for that. Will, do you have anything to add to the week? No. Once again, you basically said everything we did. <laughs> I've been less sick this week, so that's nice. That's always good. Yeah, I stopped doing... As of today, I officially officially stopped doing a second job, so I might go back to it one day. We'll see, but for as for now, I'm think I'm comfortable, just enjoying this period in my life. It's because he's just some self care, all the bubble baths and all that. Huh. He needs some me time. <laughs> exactly. You think about you, Will. Some more time for Manny Petties. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be working two jobs and saving up money for a house, but. You know, I we're not that far off from it, really. And it's not going to slow us down that much at this point To for me to not work two jobs, I guess. And, uh, you know, it's kind of nice being in an apartment. And if I'm just working 12 hours every day or something, then I'm not really, I don't know, I guess I'm not really yet. I'm just kind of rushing through this stage instead of just, you know, being in an apartment. It's got its own perks to it, right? Why rush through it? Because being in an apartment, you don't really have to care for maintenance yeah i don't have to really maintain anything you don't really have to take care of the house so smaller to clean yeah yeah it takes like two hours to clean the whole place a week and so you're you're basically like you know you're you can be out all the time you can do lots of stuff and and really the main reason why just because i was having trouble balancing it with um the rest of my obligations in life that was that was the really like important thing i think and so i almost quit the podcast because of it but um, for one, I mean, that's the only way it would affect our viewers anyway, but, um, mm-hmm. it was affecting other things too. So now more time to do other things. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, my week was great. Emily mentioned one of the things, uh, yeah, I've been practicing for a while. This is a song I had wanted to do for like a year and a half. And I was like, I just didn't feel like the opportunity was right. And uh, I also had to change the key because the song that I was doing, He's Alive, the version, karaoke version I used was from David Phelps, for anyone who knows, is a high tenor, and I'm a baritone, so I'm like, this is not going to work. And then I found a lower key karaoke version, and I was like, perfect. Uh, so yeah, I did that, and that was a lot of fun, and we had a great Easter service. We had uh, the performing arts team at our church perform an amazing dance song as well for Easter, and it was awesome. So that was very fun. Uh, I, I love that service. Other than that, it was a pretty average work week. Got to the gym a lot, and I'm seeing results there, which is extremely exciting. And then uh, yesterday, I had a bit of an incident again at work, like I've said in the past, and 
I was unfortunately uh, watching six people that entered our store and were all up to no good. I knew they were going to steal, but nothing I can do. And the guy was leaving and uh, didn't really get in his way. I just asked him to go to the front to where he body checked me. So then I had to call the police, unfortunately, and can't get into the details of that. But uh, there's a police report and all that stuff. So uh, just pray for me and for people that work retail out there because at times it gets pretty rough uh, in certain areas. So, yeah, just pray for peace with uh, the people that I work with. But other than that, one time uh, that my week was pretty good. So can't complain. Great. Glad that you weren't um, injured from that body check. Yep. Yeah. Well, luckily, I played a few years of football, so that guy didn't really have much on me. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not inviting people to try, please. <laughs> don't don't test that. All right. So today we'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 13. We're starting at verse 1. We'll see how far we get to. I'll be reading from Hebrews 13 today on the NASB, verses 1 to 8. Let love of brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners, as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. So that we may confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember, those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let love of the brothers and sisters continue. Do not neglect hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Yeah. In my version, it says, let brotherly love continue. I was wondering what you guys thought that means like what does brotherly love look like so to me what the first thing i thought of when i heard brotherly love is something i learned a few years ago was from robbie zacharias uh and he had taught on the different types of love that we see in the bible and the different greek words that they use therein so uh there's the four that i remember would be phileo storge eros and agape uh Eros, that's where you uh, derive the word erotic from, which would be romantic love. Um, Storge, I believe, is familial love. Agape is the everlasting, never-ending love of God that you can only get from him. And then phileo is brotherly love. So Mm -hmm. that's the word that's used in the Greek translation here. It's actually the word, the word would have probably, Philadelphia would have been the full word. But uh, would have been th- derived from the word phileo or philia. Uh, so that is a brotherly love. So the meaning of it is a little flexible in the uh, a little. It's not as specific in the English translation, right? Because I said before, right? You can say in the English language, we say, you know, I love my dog, I love cheeseburgers, and I love William. Those are all different, way different types of love. Yeah. Uh, but we use the same word but the Greeks were a little bit more specific with what they used. So this kind of love, when it says brotherly love, it's not just saying man to man that are brothers. It's more of a, a friendship love, uh, of a strong strong connection with a friend. So uh, I'm reading from Learn, LearnReligions.com, and it's speaking on this topic, and it says, Phileo describes an emotional connection that goes beyond acquaintances or casual friendships. When we experience phileo, we experience a deeper level of connection. This connection is not as deep as a love within a family, perhaps, nor does it carry the intensity of a romantic passion. Yet phileo is a powerful b- bond that forms community and offers multiple benefits to those who share it. So this is the t- type of love that I believe is talked about. So like examples I can think of in the Bible, Jesus' friendship with his disciples, Jesus' close friendship with Lazarus. Um, those are examples, I believe, of phileo, of, of a brotherly love. And that thing that connected Jesus with them was the gospel itself and was the relationship with the Son of God. But it's the same relationship that me and William have. Him and I have known each other since birth, basically. And uh, it's I think those these types of relationships the Bible's talking about, it's kind of few and far between. 
uh, a few of those friendships that like, yeah, I have full trust in this person. I can be open and transparent. I can share, you know, deep and, and dark things of my past and I can feel like I'll, I won't get judged. I can be open with it and I can share everything I want. And I, and I know that I'll receive a proper love from them, which is accountability and it's correction and it's um, kindness. Yeah. I think having um, brotherly love in the church is something that probably is what we should be striving for between believers. So just saying how the writer of Hebrews says, let brotherly love continue, I think paints a picture of how um, as Christians, we're, we're supposed to love each other. And with that comes certain responsibilities and loyalties and how we're supposed to be kind to people. And I think it really ties into the next verse. Yeah. So I think um, having that love in the church really ties to verse two, where it talks about how we're not supposed to forget the strangers, yes. right? We should let them in um, because, well, how do you get to know someone? How do you get to know a stranger? By talking to them, by mm -hmm. welcoming them. More to that, hospitality f to a stranger. Hospitality literally translates to love for strangers in the Greek. So if I scroll over the word, um, my software gives me the exact definition and yeah, I mean, I don't know. It says love of strangers. Yeah, <laughs> I my, really like that. My th um, the, the other thing too, I didn't really come to that. Like what pointed that out was a commentary I was reading and then I just went and checked. <laughs> but anyway, mm -hmm. so there's that. Yeah, but you could be letting angels in. And I believe, William, you had some examples from the Bible about that. Yeah, it's happened before. I think a few times actually. But I mean, the one that like, you know, they would have probably remembered the most vividly was the time when um, Abraham was visited by angels to inform them that Sarah was going to have a child in Genesis 18. Yeah, I'm sure that this is, I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of, this one kind of stumped me. I'm sure there's some meaning behind here in my understanding, but what it sounded like to me was don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers because you might, and they might be angels without you knowing it. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's that's possible, too. And that angle I actually never thought of myself. When I read over this, I just kind of got the theme that is saying that you don't know what it is that the person next to you is going through, and you don't know their backstory. Uh, you don't know who they are. Maybe they're hurting or broken. Uh, or in some cases, maybe your neighbor, the person next to you is Muslim or they're atheist. But at the end of the day, no matter who it is, they're all in need of a savior. And if we look at a lot of different areas of the world, especially, I'll be honest, the Middle East and the Muslim countries, they're extremely hospitable and friendly. And often when you go to someone's house there, they give you a gift uh, because that is so ingrained in their culture. And I was shocked the first time I went to a friend's house that was Muslim when I was greeted with a gift and, and food and, mm -hmm. and so much love and um, it's cause it's, 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 uh, it's just ingrained in the culture and it's also ingrained in, um, the Christian culture in the, in the Mediterranean, Middle Eastern countries. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think it's because they are following, I mean, I'm not sure about what it says in the Quran, but at least with the Christians there, they are following what the Bible says. It teaches to be, to be hospitable. And I think because what that does when you're friendly like that towards people, it can often sow a good seed and it can start a great friendship. And when you're starting a friendship like that, when you invite someone into your home, you're kind of saying like, like, I don't know, your home is where everything is. That's where you're, that's where you live. That's where you spend the, the, almost all your time. So you're inviting someone into your, your household and you're creating food, you're having fellowship with them. And you never know, like maybe, maybe bringing people in is a good thing because I think that might give hope for them to come to Christ. So even if they aren't a Christian, bringing someone into your home and, and then showing them the love of Christ, I think shows a good seed. And maybe that's why it was included here hmm. to be hospitable be, or to do not neglect hospitality to strangers because it could be a good opportunity to sow seed in somebody. Yeah. Something hmm. that's been, 
something that bothered me when I read that verse was that hospitality back then was something completely different than what it is today. Or, I mean, it's not actually, I guess, but I don't know. When I think people say, oh, you should be hospitable. Um, I don't know. I think people are like, oh, I'm hospitable. I'm polite. It's kind of the bare minimum. Yeah, they just kind of put in the bare minimum effort. Right. But hospitality back then was, yeah, you would invite them into your home. You would feed them. You would give them a place to stay. Like, it was yeah. a very different environment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was all about... and singing and... Their culture was so people-focused. And I think that, um, I don't know, I could definitely show a lot more hospitality as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably one of the ways, one of the main ways you reach people is through hospitality and showing them God's love. And I don't think we do enough of that in Western culture. Mm-hmm. When you think about the history of Christianity and how churches even today still are very hospitable towards people, right? It's the place that you go to get community, to get help when you need it. Well, it used to be more so, right? Like the church owned hospitals and schools and whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was where you'd go to get help for things, Um there's a lot of agape meals and sharing things and helping out refugees. And you know how like there's just so much good that churches do. And um, I think it's something that needs to keep on happening in Christian communities. Instead of going towards the more individualistic side of society, we should be more into that community based uh, fellowship and friendship like they were back when he- Hebrews was written. Like it shows how having that love, having that desire to help people is so important and that's something that we need to keep trying to do yep i definitely agree verse three yeah verse three says remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are badly treated since you yourselves are also in the body Mm. so i i take this to or i assume what this means is something like um I assume this is just talking about prisoners that have been imprisoned because of their faith. I uh, think Christians. that's probably one of the themes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that was something that was talked about before in Hebrews too. Not that we shouldn't care for the people that are in the prisons that are not there because of... Um, that. Um, yeah, they're not there because of persecution against Christianity. There's people that are there because of injustice. There's also people that are there that's justified that we should still care about. And that's mm-hmm. why ministering in prisons is so important mm-hmm. and it does happen today where ministries are going to prisons yeah yeah it's actually sure. it's actually a lot more common than i thought even this last year the amount of prison ministries that i heard of one that i got into recently is actually called god behind bars it's a great instagram page and it shares all of the prisoners that are being reached by ministries and uh it's it's extremely good i recommend you guys follow that page if you want some inspiration but yeah, I mean, I do believe this verse is probably more leaning towards talking about, you know, praying for our brothers and sisters uh, of Christ that are in prison and for the ones overseas, like that's not really a thing here in the West. Um, but for the ones that are overseas that are imprisoned and executed and facing turmoil because of their faith hmm. to put ourselves in their shoes and to be like, you know, to really pray for them and really imagine ourselves there, which is hard to do, to be honest, uh, because we've never experienced anything even close to that here, to be honest. Like, yeah, we we've had some we get some backlash on certain topics, but that doesn't really compare, in my opinion. Um, but at the same time, kind of like what William was saying, maybe it does is also to not forget other prisoners, too. I mean, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And no one's out of reach. Even the worst of sinners that are in the prisons, we see some of those people come to Christ. Yeah. We see devil worshipers come to Christ. So if they can come to Christ, if these awful people that have, not awful people, but the people that have Mm -hmm. committed awful crimes can come to God. I mean, God can forgive the worst of sinners. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had some similar notes to what you were talking about, Justin, because I wrote like, um, picture what it's like to walk in their shoes. Hey, look at that. (laughs) Yeah. we are all a part of the body of Christ. So those who are hurt, imprisoned, um, just have horrible things happen to them. We are also a part of um, the body and we feel that pain. We hear about what happens. And while we can't exactly walk in their shoes, we can be compassionate towards them. 
and pray for them and keep them in mind. Um, like think about how back then Christi- Christianity was such a huge risk to follow. And even now, and like you were talking about in so many countries, it's still a risk. Um, it's like you could end up in jail too for things like if Christianity becomes mm. even more. I can't imagine yeah. the, the strength in their faith. Like even think about someone like John the Baptist who knew was getting executed despite just only being a follower of Christ was his, was the crime he committed. Mm-hmm. Get his faith grew stronger despite the circumstances. Yeah, and what the Bible demands of us in, in terms of thinking about them uh, is quite, I don't think people take it seriously. I mean, it's pretty hard to. It says, remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them. Mm-hmm. So it should be the, <laughs> yeah. I'll see if that's possible. Um, so, I mean, obviously it's a standard that's impossible to keep, but we're supposed to strive for it anyway, mm-hmm. um, as with many things in the Bible. And uh, there's actually a lot more countries than one might think that persecute Christians. Do you have stats? I do have stats, Ooh. except awesome. I'm also terrible at geography. So if I read <laughs> any one of these, I'm going to butcher it. So I'm going to get Justin to read them instead. <laughs> like, say. how do you pronounce the word North Korea? I'm just kidding. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so countries where ministries are either closed off to, uh, whether that be completely or partially, would uh, as in ministries, Christian ministries, would be North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Eritrea, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, Iran, India, Saudi Arabia, Maldives, Nigeria, Syria, Uzbekistan, Egypt, Vietnam, Turkmenistan, Jordan, Malaysia, Myanmar, Nepal, Rene, Qatar, Kazakhstan. Rene's not a country. I don't know what that is. I know all the countries in the world. What's Rene? Ethiopia, Tunisia, Turkey, Kenya, Bhutan, Kuwait, Central African Republic, Palestinian territories, Mali, Indonesia, Mexico, United Arab Emirates, Bangladesh, Algeria, China, Sri Lanka, Azerbaijan, Oman, Mauritania, Bahrain, Colombia, and Djibouti. Djibouti. That is a lot of countries where Christianity is partially or fully uh, closed off or people could be persecuted for sharing the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that, Justin. Uh, you did a very, <laughs> a far better job than I would do at pronouncing some of these. So uh, those are just some of them, by the way. That's not all of them. And they're mostly obviously in the other continent. Uh, but Mexico's on there. Yeah, there's a Colombia <laughs> on our continent. There's not many, but uh, but isn't Mexico like very Catholic? So I wonder. Depends. That's why it's partially right. So mm-hmm. it depends on the area, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anyway, that was taken from uh, missionaryportal.webflow.io/stats. If you want to see, there's a lot more statistics than that they have up there. If that's interesting, I was only interested in the countries that were persecuted, but they actually have quite of quite a lot of missionary data. Hmm. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. And like, it's weird just how little Christians actually get into the field of mission work in Western uh, countries. I mean, obviously we can't all do it and it would have to be a minority in order for society to function. So mm-hmm. you would expect that. But like, it's still like shockingly low, like the numbers. Anyway, but I forget what they are. So we can move on. Uh, does anyone else want to talk about Verse three. No. no. Verse four. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. I don't know anything about marriage. Me neither. I know all about it. No, I'm just <laughs> Dude, you're the you would be our expert. You tell us everything we need to know. I'll let you know <laughs> as soon as I figure it out. Yeah. Something I find very interesting. Is how the Bible talks about sexual immorality a lot. Um, and Will, I know you have some interesting insights about that. Yeah, marriage is... Well, first of all, I, wa- I wanted to point to like the part where it says the marriage is to be held in honor among all. All. It doesn't mean just specifically Jews or, or Christians. It's or just, just people that are married. Yeah, I think it, it's, um, marriage should be held in honor among all people. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Um Meaning that, like you know, um, there's a, a certain amount of sexual liberty that comes within the confines of wedlock, but um, it's not 
to be done outside of wedlock. And marriage is something that continues to be dishonored more and more in our secular godless culture that we have today. Uh, for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Uh, fornicating, it I used to think just meant sex outside of marriage. Apparently it's used in the Bible to describe a wide variety of sexually immoral acts. Adulterer, well, everyone knows what that is. I mean, I have some thoughts. I don't know if they're very good, but... based good. So, sexual immorality does seem to be... Uh, what's the word for it? Like, emphasized. Impos- a very large pitfall for people. It, well, it seems to be emphasized throughout the Bible. You know, I've heard it often said that sexual immorality is one of the worst sins. Uh, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's definitely emphasized. Like, what, what does it mean to say one of the worst? I, I guess it is. It's not the worst, but it's certainly well, one of the worst. God and, does make a distinction because it's not just a sin against him, but it's a sin against your own body, which he created. Mm-hmm. And the whole overused phrase, your body is a temple that Christians like to use, was actually specifically on yeah. sexual morality. Yes, no, exactly. I, no, for sure. Yeah, it was really bad. And he does say it's, you know, and I, I thought about that. Like, why is it emphasized to be one of the worst? I mean, the common lines that people use are like, ah, I'm not hurting anyone myself. I mean, I just, or I'm not hurting anyone. Like, why does it matter? I mean, I disagree. I think you are hurting people. I think you're also hurting yourself. Yes. But I think the reason why uh, sexual immorality is emphasized so much to be one of the worst sins is because mm. I think it has the potentiality for the most damage in society. And I think it's... Which be- we've seen. I think if you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, I think that's probably um, had a big part to do with it. If you look at... Um, people falling away from... like Okay, like the foundation of society obviously is like the the individual i guess maybe i'm not wearing that right but it's individual you know your actions affect the, your family I and mean, there's the family unit and that affects you know the community I and mean, then there's community and then there's you know it keeps going up but yeah. at an individual level i i think the thing that people struggle with the most is sexual immorality mm-hmm. and so like you know people that say that looking at can I even talk about that right now? Yes, you can. Yeah, that's fine. Everyone knows about it, and I don't think it should be avoided to talk about okay. it. Okay. Pornography. I've known people that say it's probably not healthy for me. It's probably not good. Um, these are atheists, and they're like, yeah, I, I can't really stop. It's really hard to stop, you know? But even if you just tell them it's unhealthy, like, I don't think that's, that's good enough to make someone stop. I think um, saying that it's immoral is probably... So... Like if I if I look at Christians that fall away from God and they use some other ad hoc reason for why does they fell they fell away, it seems to be like when I listen to like apologetics podcasts and thing like that, and even just in based on my own observations and experience, it's often because of sexual immorality. Like there's this podcast I will listen to. I don't think it's around anymore. Uh, Cross examined, um, where oh yeah, yeah, where he was someone. Like he would get people, I would come up to him and be like, ah, oh, my... F- you talking Frank Turek? Yeah, Frank yeah. Turek. My best friend or a friend of mine uh, is no longer a Christian anymore. He's, I don't know, Buddhist or something like that. And he's like, can you give me some books on Buddhism and things like that? And then he would always be like, hey, well, when your friend stopped being a Christian, did he start doing like, did he start like sleeping with her boyfriend or something like that? And then usually be like, yeah, 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 that's right. They, they have an apartment together. He's like... You don't need books on Buddhism because it's not about Buddhism. It's about her doing what she wants to do. Mm. I have personal experience with relatives that have fallen away from God so they could pursue some kind of sexual immorality. And how many times have you heard a pastor uh, thing come out where his pastor had an affair against his wife? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, everyone knows about the Ravi Zacharias scandal. Yeah. Uh, Sexual immorality is the desire to commit sexual immorality is a drug that you're basically predisposed to be addicted to without ever trying it. Um, like uh, you, we have as men especially have a natural inclination, inclination to watch pornography, strong sex drive, even though we've, even when we have never tried it before, we just, it, we just want to like it, it, there's a drive to do it. And so it can push you away from your faith because you really, really want to pursue that. And then you you make the decision with your amygdala and you backfill the reason you backfill it with reason later, your decisions. 
and you know just because you want to to live like that you want to get mm-hmm. laid or something i don't know and then yeah anyway yeah and then yeah like i already mentioned that the number of pastoral leaders where that's been an issue i mean look the catholic priest stereotype yeah. it's just a thing it's just yeah. it has a, a great potentiality for a ton of damage in society mm-hmm. it's very dangerous and that's why i think it's stressed a lot in the bible definitely mm-hmm. it tempts people more it, so sorry go yeah i'm done go ahead so then my, my question would be, to bring it back to the very first part of this, why is it then that marriage should be held an honor among all? Why is that so important? Because God put rules on this earth to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And I think and marriage is the only pure to what, have sexual expression. Yeah, I, I think people con- like get confused when they talk about nature. Like when, like I mean, sorry, the other side, the side that's for sexual immorality, I mean, they wouldn't call it that. Uh, tries to convolute. For sexual promiscuity. When you think about sexual relations outside of marriage and how that impacts people, um, I'm not sure where it is in the Bible or who talks about it, but I've heard a lot about soul ties and how when you have sex with someone, yes. you bond with them, right? And it's like this very intimate thing, it's the most intimate thing you could do with a person. Yeah. And that just creates a lasting impact on both of you. So every time you have sex, it's like... You're bonding more to that person. Um, the two will become one. Yeah. So let's say you are just a regular person in the world and you have multiple different partners throughout your life. It's like you're bonding with all these different people and continuously breaking that off, continuing to go to different uh, sources to fulfill that need. Dividing and it, dividing it's just, it. Yeah, dividing. Basically, your soul is like being tortured by what you're doing to your mm-hmm. body. Yeah. yeah. It's really hard to talk about um, that scientifically if you're not a scientist because the only really way i can describe um a deep part of what makes us who we are is to call it the soul and then as soon as you bring up soul in front of an atheist they look at you like you're an idiot Mm. i've had friends laugh at me for this conversation when i said when you have sex you're intertwining your souls and that needs to be taken seriously people out there um, like, I mean, there, I, I find that people are often like intuitively, or how do I put this, open to practicing discipline in a large number of areas, mm-hmm. but because sexual drive is, is so powerful in human beings, human beings that, that they don't want to, for this area, it's really difficult for them to like open up to wanting. And it, it's such a hard thing to like explain why it's hurtful or damaging. Like I said, you bring up the soul and you're probably going to get an eye roll. And I'm sure there's a scientific way to explain it, but it's sure hard. Mm-hmm. But anyway. For sure. Yeah. That's a good explanation. And like, there's many examples in the Bible where it talks about how sexual immorality has like brought down nations like with Sodom and Gomorrah or where it's talking Nineveh. about, yeah. And, or like even how King David with Bathsheba, right? All yep. these different things is just, you can see how it, makes even the strongest men of God yeah. fall. So here's like one of the th- thoughts I've sort of been like toying with when it comes to this, why it can cause society to, why it can aid in the destruction, I think, of society like in Sodom and Gomorrah. So picture it this way, there's this line and everything on the other side of this line, it's unhealthy, it's not good for you. And it's pretty easy to explain why it's unhealthy. Most of the things are on this line. Examples? Um, Sure. Incest, um, hitting your spouse, like um, abusing kids, uh, abusing animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say abuse because it's so general. I, I mean, I could... The vast n- majority of societies would be in agreement. Right. And so it's it's easy to... Right. So there's these things that are, that are unhealthy. Um, let me think. Overindulgence in general of sugar or... You know, things that just make overindulgence, make things that make you unhealthy. Although, I mean, I find in, in, in a Western society where there's abundance of everything, uh, you know, they companies want you to overindulge. Yeah. That's the whole point of a cup mall. A lot of time and in commercials, they'll, of it. Yeah. And a lot of time in commercials, they'll encourage it. But but those things are easier to intellectually combat against, I think. Like uh, now, you get something like sexual immorality, which is unhealthy. Uh, people, you have, there's this instinctual drive to break across that line into that area. And once you do, 
it's easy to justify everything else because the arguments that you use to justify sexual immorality can often be applied to other sins and other immorality and other overindulgences. But for sexual immorality specifically, that that uh, the drive to go to that area is so powerful. And so people are willing to reason themselves around to get there. And once you're there, it's like, okay, well, now let's... Now we can... We, um, it, I mean, it's going to sound like a slippery slope argument, but that's what it is. One thing just leads to another. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, now let's redefine marriage. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And then we get more and more immoral. We 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 push. Go further we break and further away. down the road to where you look back behind you and you're nowhere where you began. You break. Exactly. Yeah. You break the lines of reality to get what you want. And then that's when chaos ensues in society and it can bring it down. And for the most part, when we make these poor decisions, uh, whether it be the sexual, whether it be things that we know are inherently wrong. We usually know, but we push that voice down. Mm -hmm. We suppress it and think, Mm -hmm. I know, but I just want this momentary satisfaction. And this, this I'll be pleased about and it'll be good. And then, and then it happens. And then you think, why did I ever lie to myself? And if you are able to realize that and ask for forgiveness and change your ways, that can be a good thing. But if you don't, it can often, that voice gets quieter and quieter yep. and quieter mm-hmm. until like God will give you guidance if you ask for it. If you ask for it though. Yeah. And if you just, if you're sincere keep, about keep it listening too. to yourself and keep thinking, I know what's best and yeah, I, I know God does, but I just want to listen to myself today. It's going to get worse. Right. And I think that is actually a good thing to lead us into verse five. Yeah. It's interesting to picture it as being it changed in that line and thinking about how we see that in society, how once you cross a certain boundary, like you see it in all these different movements, like before feminism was like just about women's rights and everything. But now we're getting to like the weird side of things where it's like sexual freedom of whatever and the transgender things and all that. Like you can see how society is just accumulating all these different extreme beliefs about sex and who your gender, like about your gender and who you are. And I like what William said earlier about it being godless, which is true. Yeah. Well, that's a big thing, right? It's godless. The thing that the constitution improperly assumed in my opinion is that everyone was going to have Christian values. And, uh, years later they don't, but anyway, yeah, let's talk about the benefits of marriage. Now a marriage is great. Uh, studies have shown, first of all, if the studies are out there that people in marriage have better sex, like statistically speaking, um, because come to find out when you actually deeply care about a person and love a person and you're very familiar with them, then having sex with them is just, it, it's the sex with them is better than if you just completely didn't know them at all, which somehow makes sense. Deeply beneficial, first of all, for having kids. It's deeply beneficial for disease control. It's it's beneficial uh, because you you build a, um, by nature. We are designed to have characteristics about the genders that complement each other, mm-hmm. and so when you you know you make that so tie, you become one flesh. Your characteristics will complement each other and cause each other to grow assuming you're putting God first in their relationship yeah, and cause each other to grow into being much better people. It teaches you a lot about self-sacrifice that turns into a better person. Um, putting your spouse first at the expense of yourself, which teaches you. So, and it also teaches you about the relationship with God and your relationship with God teaches you about your relationship with your spouse. Um, and you need that relationship there if you're going to have kids. So, and we need kids to carry on the human race. I don't know. I mm-hmm. keep talking about the benefits of marriage. And kids do better when they're in two-parent households. That's true, too. Oh, 100%. The <laughs> stats back that up, which I could get into someday, but too yeah. many. Verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you. I feel like the love of money is something else that can easily lead to that slippery slope again, because having greed is something that's very easy to fall into, especially like you look around us in Canada, America, wherever you are, likely you're listening to this from like a first world country, right? And there's 
people like we live in abundance and people can be very greedy. Like they want to keep their money to themselves. They don't want to give to other people or they always want the next big thing. And it's just you can put your positions higher sometimes than other people. And it's uh, it's definitely something that I have seen demonstrated in society. I completely agree. Um, I think when someone over focuses on money, when that's all they think about, what they have is never enough. Money becomes an idol and it's and greed comes along with it. And I think many other sins come along with someone who focuses too much on money. Mm-hmm. Pride, yeah. selfishness, <laughs> covetedness. So it, it ties perfectly, I think, with the last verse, even though that has it doesn't really have to do with marriage. It's kind of that same thing where it can be a slippery slope where this one thing that God gave us, God gave us sex, God gave us love, God gave us marriage. Well, God gave us the ability to to be uh what's the what's the word? I don't want to not rich, but God gave us prosperous. Prosperity. Like prosperity is something that God gave us the ability to have, but how are we going to use it? Can, how can we honor God with our money? How how do how do we not allow this to consume us? Because trust me, even people that don't have a ton, it can consume. Totally. I've seen it consume poor people. It's not just rich people that money consumes. Mm-hmm. There have been times in my life where it's consumed me. Um, and I I look back and I think, well, why was it that all I cared about was my next paycheck and buying the next thing and, you know, getting so stressed over finances? Well, have I been honoring God with my money? Mm. Well, have I been thinking about that it doesn't belong to me? Then that's all his? No, no. In those moments, I never thought about that. I thought about just myself and yeah. it ties perfectly to, I think the last verse we read. Yeah. No, totally. Um, something, this interesting quote I read off of uh, Enduring Word uh, by this guy called Bernard. It's interesting because Enduring Word, I actually, Enduring Word is great at just kind of like compiling quotes from people in their commentaries. Yes. And usually when I read their commentaries, I'm just pulling the quotes because they'll put the perfect quotes from like Spurgeon or C.S. Lewis for that chapter, like, oh, that's wonderful. I'm going to use that. Anyway, um, Bernard Baruch? Yeah, I don't know. Um, he was an American financer and statesman, and he, you know, he basically just made a bunch of money. And then during World War One, he was the nation's economic, um, he managed the nation's economic mobilization mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. He's a finance guy. And uh, someone asked him, um, he was a millionaire at the time, which was a lot more than it means today. Uh, how much money does it take for a rich man to be satisfied? And he said, just a million more than he has at all times. Yeah. So, it, <laughs> yeah, like I said, right? Like, it's never enough. Yeah, it really isn't. And it's, you, you always feel like when if you're looking at materialism, which is really like if you're in um, Western, like if you're in the Americas, right? Uh, here we have so much of it that like we have so we're just so blessed here. We have so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's it's pretty hard to to uh, not be materialistic, I guess, mm-hmm. and and not to overindulge. And well, it's so accessible. Oh, all the time. <laughs> and like when you have lots of stuff, it's hard not to find your happiness in lots of stuff. Which is why they say, you know, uh, it's easier for a a, a cow to fit into the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. Um. So yeah, it's always you feel so yeah. It's always. I'm going to be happy when I, I don't know, buy my first car or get my own place or when I'm married and when I have a house and when I get my uh, raise and when I, you know, it's always somewhere down the line, something mm-hmm. associated with money. Yep. But I mean, think about it. It's as easy as double clicking my power button and boom, I've got my debit card right here, ready to spend whatever buy more I stuff, want. Buy more stuff. I can buy things and get it shipped to me in a day from Amazon with this phone right here, yeah. which I also used with my money to buy. That's uh, true. It's so easy. I know people that just it. scroll through Amazon every day. You, you know, oh, yeah. Did you know that we're the 1% of like the world oh, in terms I, of... Yep. You know what's funny? And of all the societies in the world, we're probably the 0.5%. If uh, it's easier for a camera to fit into the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven, he's talking about us. And most people don't realize that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's yeah. like we're the rich people. People don't get it. People don't realize it. But when you, but most people back then were poor. It was a very few people that had everything at their fingertips, right? 
and Man. had lots of stuff. Where if we're in like the one, I think we read this, your mom was reading this statistic to us, Emily. Mm-hmm. And it was something like if you have internet or whatever and a car, if yeah, if you have internet and a car and a house or whatever, then you're like the 1% of the 1% of, you know, yeah. whatever, like you're of the world population. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. wealthy. I just finished watching a, a mini doc on this, on um, uh, bricklaying in Nepal. And these people are, it's, uh, what's it called? It's modern day slavery. And these people will own these companies that make bricks and they, they make these people work for them for their entire lives because they say that they still owe them debt. Hmm. So one of these people, by the way, they live in Nepal, extremely hot in certain areas. They eat bread maybe once a day. And the rest of the day, they're on their hands and knees, bent bent over, uh, making bricks and drying them and on kilns. And they'll be like, "Oh, you know, you have to visit the hospital because you got sick one of these days." Well, you have to pay our hospital bill. That's going to take at least thirty years. Hmm. So they work them sweat to the bone, ten hours a day, every day of the week for thirty years. Wow! And that's all they do. That's their whole life. Some of them were just said they're like, "There's an old man there said he'd been doing it for sixty years because he's still paying off a medical bill." There's no record of this medical bill. There's no way to know how long they've been doing it. Anyways, there's a documentary on this certain section of the world with modern day slavery. And it just made me realize like, wow, I I don't even know if I could get through a week of that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think about it, like, these people do it every single day. And the kid was eight years old, by the way. One oh, of the kids that were there were doing it was wow. eight years old, which is even against Nepali uh, government's uh, working laws, labor laws. And they have to go in and shut shut down some of these places, mm. but just makes you realize, like, my goodness, mm-hmm. even even poor people here don't have to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, we have it so good here where we live. And both and of us are we're, we're coming from lower income families. Yeah, and then everyone here, it's like oh, we're not rich, and I'm like, well, compared to, I guess, whatever your Elon Musk or something. Yeah, but we have air, we have a heater in the winter, we have air conditioning in the summer. To, yeah, to, to think that we get to live in absolute comfort, like even me, I don't make that much by today's standard, but I work 40 hours a week behind a computer screen, and then I go home to my air-conditioned apartment, I can drive wherever I want, I, I can have anything I want pretty much, anything that I could ever need, like the ability to have what I need is well beyond met. I'm living in such excess, I can buy... Uh, anyway, whatever. Just can't buy a house yet, that one. <laughs> <laughs> Except for a house. Yeah. We'll get there. I mean, anyway. it could just be very poor financial thing to do. Yeah, it would be. It wouldn't be financially smart to buy a house but now. Anyways, I could do it anyway. But this is what I find interesting: is make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Mm-hmm. Have no love for money. How are we supposed to do that? And the Bible talks about that a lot too. Like I think, right? And be Jesus content with what you have. Didn't Jesus say that like love of money is the root of all evil? Yeah. So moving on, uh, the next section says, "For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever abandon you." So that we confidently say, "The Lord is my helper; I will not be afraid." What will man do to me? Yeah. So both those, like, uh, it's interesting that he's saying, you know, be content with what you have. Because um, the Lord says, I will not desert you, will not forsake you. And then so that we may confidently say the Lord is my helper. He's just referencing like, you know, I guess you just want to reference scripture from the Old Testament. Because, uh, I mean, he could have said something like, be content because God gives you everything he, he, he needs. We need I don't know, unless there's meaning I'm missing here. Yeah, I mean, so that quote is from, the first one's from Deuteronomy mm-hmm. chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear and nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. I think, like, God will never leave us in any moment of our lives. And I think that's hard to always remember, that we are never alone. And that we have nothing to fear since we have an almighty God on our side and we have the Holy Spirit living in us. So I even think about like what we were talking about earlier with the prisoners. I guarantee that a lot of those guys in their cells at mm-hmm. nighttime for the 400th day in a row feel alone. Mm-hmm. Feel maybe that God's abandoned them, feel forsaken, even though they're doing what's right. Why am I here, right? Even Jesus on the cross yeah. said that 
God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, yeah. But God will never leave us or forsake us. That's a promise he made. And I'm sorry, if you read through the Bible, God has never once broken a promise that he's ever made. He promised to be back again someday. That's a promise we can hold to as well. But we have nothing to fear because of that. God gives us confidence. Um, throughout these many trials in our life, uh, I mean, the Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Mm -hmm. The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one, because he is all powerful. Duh. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Mm -hmm. Through war, though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Think about David writing this as a soldier. He yeah. said, though an army encamps against me, he's surrounded by soldiers, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me, in the Lord he will be confident. Wow. <laughs> like, we are not to be afraid because we have an almighty God who created all of this around us. He knew, God knows, that we're going to go through many, many trials and tribulations and we're going to face many challenges. That is when we're supposed to rely on him the most. That's when he looks for us to say, okay, are they going to look to me for strength? In those times, we can't look to ourselves because we're not going to have the strength. Now, in some, some situations, we might think that we, we can figure it out ourselves. Um, and maybe in that temporary time, maybe we can get away with it. But no, mm -hmm. we, we, we won't be able to find the strength on our own. And the only one that can give us that ultimate guidance is God. Yeah, that's good. Um, why, is, why is it that you think he um, connected the two? The be free from love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself said, I would never desert you nor forsake you. Yeah, I guess reading it at first glance, it is a little, I thought it was a little strange that they he connected it to that verse. But then I guess what I can see this saying is that he was, he was listing a lot of things that we need to remember. We need to remember the prisoners. We need to remember to love people. We need to remember to have hospi hospitality. We need to remember to hold marriage as sacred. And we need to remember to not be held down by the love of money. Mm -hmm. And how are we going to do all of these things? That sounds quite challenging. Yeah. Well, God isn't going to abandon us through these trials. He's not going right. to abandon us through these challenges that he gives us. Yeah. I, I kind of thought that too. That might be it. And also just like, well, I mean, I feel like it's also giving us, so we can't make an excuse for the love of money. Like I feel like if we say you shouldn't, especially back then when people didn't have much, shouldn't love money. It's like, well, what if I need to or whatever? Or what mm -hmm. if I have to pursue? Uh, I don't know. Or what if I, what if it's necessary? What if my ambition is necessary to get me by? Mm -hmm. But he's like, well, God's going to be with you. He's never going to leave you. So yeah. to remove that, well, you don't have any reason to love money because mm -hmm. he's sufficient. Yeah. I think about people that have had an absolute abandonment of the love of money. And there are not many people there are a couple that that come to my head that I know of that have abandoned the love of money and I envy that character and not envy in the sinful way. I, I look at them with reverence and I think I want to be like that because there are people uh, that I know of that just, oh, hey, uh, I don't really use this Xbox anymore. I know you don't have a gaming system, Justin. Just take it. I'm like, pardon me, what? Oh, just take it. Oh, you want a computer? Just take it. Isn't this $2,000? I don't care. Just have it. I'm like... I don't even, use it. Even if you have a lot of money, that didn't... For me, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, logically speaking, I want to have that kind of abandonment of a love of money that I have such a giving heart that I can just do that. And I can think of another person like Francis Chan, a uh, popular Christian pastor, yeah. But when he created his book, uh, I think it's called One Heart or no, One Love. I don't remember. Something like that. He said before he released the book that he said, I will not make a single dollar from this book. Turns out it was a New York Times bestseller. And I think it sold like three million copies. Yeah. He still kept to his word. He did not get a single dollar from that book. And that book itself could have made him easily a million or two dollars if he wanted, maybe more. 
And uh, he chose still not to do that. And where did the money go? He gave it all to ministry, I believe. And he no, not ministry, not ministry. He I believe he gave it to multiple different charities uh, that are working in, in countries to bring Christ to them. Hmm. Uh, so um, evangelical companies. Nice. So that's a kind of abandonment of love that we are to have of, of money. And the only person that could get through us is what verse six says, hmm. that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. I like that. I like this as helper. There's so many different descriptions of God. And I often don't think about helper. I often think of father. I think of father's usually the first one I think of. I think of kind of a definitely someone who's above you, where when you think of helper, you usually think of someone below you, in my opinion. But I think that's why he sent his son. So he can be our guider, our, our guidance, our teacher. So he can be our teacher, but also our helper. I think that's interesting. I don't know if yeah. I'm overanalyzing that, but right. I like that term. For sure. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of the way, oh, and considering the result of their way of life, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what do you think it means by remember those who rule over you? I guess what I just get out of that is look to the examples in your life for insight. A pastor would be an obvious example. And uh, what's something that's interesting is that like you can tell, I noticed the thing that teaches me more in life about how to conduct myself and how to behave is the way other people conduct themselves and the way other people behave. Far more of it, it's just, it's just lessons. Lessons are helpful because it, they can like, like it means someone like articulates it. It's like, okay, that makes perfect sense. I now get that. But what really teaches or at least teaches you how to change your behavior is seeing it in action. Mm -hmm. So watching someone else's conduct and seeing the fruits from that conduct is uh, very helpful in teaching you how to behave from day to day, situation to situation. That's why it's so important to have good parents uh, that behave in a manner that love God and uh, follow the Bible and have it as their ultimate authority in life. Because that's going to set a good foundation mm -hmm. in you of your behavior. It's not good enough just to be a scholar yeah. that just uh, reads and understands a bunch of things if you can't practice it. Exactly. And like, and even things that like you might be stumped on something intellectually, like it, because you might just not human beings like you might just not have the proper intuitions to understand something that's complex. Seeing it played out in the real world and the fruits from it helps you understand those things. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, but yeah, yeah, I think this verse is really saying, though, like you kind of touched on it in the beginning, that we are to imitate the faith of strong leaders like pastors, mm -hmm. uh, that we should look to those uh, where we look to those which we seek spiritual guidance from. And I think it's also kind of saying that we should imitate their conduct uh, in accordance with Christ. So if it lines up with what Christ would do, mm -hmm. then we should also imitate it. So reflect reflect Christ in similar ways that you see them doing. So I can think of a couple of pastors that I know of and spiritual leaders that aren't pastors that all have something, a different quirk about them that I think is actually a character of what Jesus had. Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to pull one from each of them, you know, and add that to my to my bundle. When I read that verse, I really thought of the word role model. So the people that you look up to in the faith, the people that have shown you the way and continue to influence the way you conduct yourself because they too have had role models and they too look to Christ. And Christ, of course, is the ultimate role model. But we can see people uh, who are living now and those who lived before that really uh, show those traits that you want as a Christian. And we can draw from that knowledge and use it in our own lives and then go out and lead other people who see us and our conduct yeah. as Christians. Yeah, I agree. Like I can, I can really, I mean, there's more than one amazing thing that I love about each one of these people, but I could look at my pastor, Randy Levin and say, I want to have a heart for the downtrodden and, and needy. I could look at my dad and say, I want to have that kind of wisdom of the gospel of the Bible. I can look to my mom and say, I want to have that kind of love for my friends. And I want to have that kind of love for my children. And mm -hmm. I want to have that sacrificial love, you know, giving up yeah. what I want for that. I can look to, I could keep pointing. I could, I could look to even William or to pastor Tim 
and say, I want to be able to have that kind of intellectualization of the Bible as well. Um, so like there's something that we can pull from the people that are in our lives that imitate Christ. And as long as it lines up with the word and it lines up with what Jesus says, that we should, we should imitate that into our faith. Totally. Yeah, I agree. And then what about the verse, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think that's a very often quoted verse. Mm-hmm. And I want to know before the end of this podcast what this might be saying. God uh, never changes. I was just going to say that. He's oh. faithful. <laughs> um, so the saying yesterday, today, and tomorrow, like that saying that he's been the same since the existence of God, which is eternal, and he's an eternal person, and he never, nothing ever changes. So we can still trust in him. He's still just as good as he was back then. He continues to be good, and we continue to be good into the future. So he's the same forever. Yeah, I was going to say... Um we take the whole God is unchanging today for granted, but back then when they were trying to figure out God's character and who he was, that was probably a very good revelation to know that he's unchanging, that he, people are always changing. Um, our personalities are always changing. And well, I mean, there's an ongoing debate whether or not personalities truly change, but I think they might, but I mean, whatever the things about people are always, people are changing. And so you're always like, you know, you're a different person than from 10 years ago, whereas God is always the same. Mm-hmm. And if God is a person, if God is a personal God and he has, he has many, shares many characteristics that we do, then I, I don't know if it was all too unreasonable for someone to assume way back when, or no, question whether or not God changes. Um, and so like the, you know, the revelation that's in the Bi- in the Bible, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes uh, was probably, first of all, very reassuring because, you know, you can expect consistency from him. And I don't know, I just answered some of those hard, probably those hard questions. Mm-hmm. But Yeah. But I mean, the Bible was written over the course of thousands of years, so I'm not sure why he, the, the author of Hebrews is bringing it up here. Is that what you're questioning? I don't think I was questioning why it was brought up. Oh, okay. Because that's yeah. kind of what I was like, why why talk about it now? One thing that comes to my mind when thinking about God being the same forever is how Justin talked about how God never goes back on his promises. So you can know that because God made these promises and that they were always fulfilled, that he's going to keep on doing it because he never changes. Oh, that's why he said it. He's like, he's going to be right. with you always. And he also, he's the same. Yesterday because he ever, said so that. He's not going to. Right. Yes. I okay. mean, if we read in um, the most obvious example I can think of when I, when I hear this verse is John 1, 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. And it goes on. And then in, uh, in I think, verse 7, or no, 13 or 14, it says that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, if the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, I would have been talking about Jesus Christ. So then you can replace the word word then with Jesus Christ in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God and he was with him through the, since the beginning. And we read in Genesis, um, it says, let us make mankind in our image. The Greek word that was used there was our, not his seeing that there would be more than one person there. God, father, son, and Holy spirit have been there since the beginning. It's biblically proven. If you want to look into that, it's, there's very interesting people that break mm-hmm. that down. Yeah. For sure. um, so yeah, he's been the same yesterday. That's the proof of yesterday. Today mm-hmm. and forever is something like like Emily tied to that I didn't even uh, I forgot I said is that God doesn't break his promises, and that's something that he says he will do, and that he will be back again someday. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which is exciting news. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, and should... you can see how, like, even in Revelation, right? We see like future prophecies about what's going to happen, like for sure, because God told John, but just thinking about how God is the same. Well, he's the same, even Revelation, right? So when people say things like the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, 
he's really not because <laughs> you can see throughout the Bible that yep. he's been consistent. It's just yep. different times, different circumstances, different circumstances, but he's still being the same in his character yeah, and yeah, just the way he presents himself and the way he cares about his people and does the punishment stuff and does, you know, all just everything to make people, I don't know how, to, you know, you no, know. you're right. I would agree. Like his character does not change. It's consistent. And I mm-hmm. think that's why, so yeah, I think he is more reliable since there's consistency. He, if if God's character changed throughout the Bible and his character is different now and it said that it would be different, I don't know if I could believe it. But God's love is the same, though shown in different ways. And grace is given to us now uh, and, and for the future. And uh, I think that's something to celebrate. And I think... Him being the same yesterday, today, and forever is is extremely encouraging. Something that we can that means that we can rely on him. If he changed, if he wasn't the same tomorrow, he wouldn't be reliable. And why would I want to believe him if I think today he could love me and tomorrow he wouldn't? Definitely. So, yeah, that's encouraging. Um, anything else for that verse, guys? No. Uh, so yeah, we got through eight verses, which is okay because there's just a lot of <laughs> amazing things throughout. Uh, this section of Hebrews. Uh, So thank you all for listening and uh, we'll do a quick prayer and send you off. God, thank you that you are faithful to us through it all. No matter what happens, God, you are there and you love us. Thank you that you give us peace and guidance and wisdom through the words and your uh, holy book here, God. Thank you for the Bible and that there are so many examples of of faith and how we are to conduct ourselves Um, Help us to live out what we read and to continue to seek you throughout the week. Provide for those listening, God. Heal people that need restoration and let there be revival in people's lives to turn to you and be filled with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 That's all we have time for today. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We have a website, DisablesQuest.net, where you can find all this Disables Quest activity aggregated. It's also where Emily releases her blog every second Wednesday, so be sure to check that out. We also have a contact form there as well, which you use to reach out to us on. You can also reach out to us on the following forums, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. And please send us your questions, criticisms, stories, or requests. If you would like to support this podcast, then prayer is always a good option, and we certainly can't get enough of that. But Patreon is the best financial option for support. Speaking of which, shout out to our Patreon subscribers, Brendan, Darlene, and Philip. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and may God guide you on your quest to become better disciples. Bye guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.